So Communion Sunday, it's also known as the Lord's Supper. Uh, those of you who grew up in Christian homes, you've likely experienced a variety of practices uh, related to communion, depending on the church tradition that you grew up in. In some uh, church traditions, the Lord's Supper is observed every single week. Uh, in some traditions, it's every other week. Uh, some of you may have grown up in traditions where it was only received occasionally. Some of you may have grown up in traditions where it was only received once or twice uh, per year. Uh, even though people get very uh, concerned about this topic and very animated about the different uh, approaches, uh, the frequency of observance, the, the reality is that the Bible doesn't actually say how often the Lord's Supper is to be observed. It just says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance uh, of Christ. So whatever tradition you grew up in, however frequently or infrequently you did it, as long as you did it, uh, you, what you experienced was absolutely fine. Uh, here at Vineyard Patascala, we attempt to receive communion uh, quarterly. That's our, that's our normal practice. And then many years, we'll try to schedule communion services uh, every other month, giving uh, six opportunities per year. So somewhere between four and six times a year uh, is usually what we're going to do here. Uh, in addition to the frequency of communion, uh, we likely have represented within our congregation a variety of experiences regarding the elements of communion, the bread and the juice and, and how that is supposed to be done. You know, some of you probably come from uh, traditions that insist that the juice should actually be wine. Uh, others say juice is just fine. Others say it has to be juice. It absolutely cannot be wine. And so uh, people are just all over the, the map on this. And in my um, holiness Pentecostal background, it was very interesting, actually. They were teetotalers in terms of drinking alcohol, and yet we had wine for communion. It was just fascinating. <laughs> Some churches uh, have traditions that say the bread must be unleavened bread. And then other traditions say that leavened bread is just fine. You, you could have come from e either one of those traditions. And once again, the Bible doesn't actually give us any definitive guidance uh, on those questions. And so here at the vineyard, we use grape juice, just so you know. And we usually use unleavened bread, though we're not committed that we exclusively have to use unleavened bread. It's just been our practice to date, but sometime you might come in here and we might have a big fluffy loaf of bread uh, for, for you to uh, receive communion from. And some of you said, could we vote on that, please? I, I would like the big fluffy loaf of bread instead of that stuff that gets stuck in my teeth that we use now. For too many Christians, communion is something that's participated in uh, without any real thought it just becomes a meaningless ritual. And I think some of these issues that I've talked about here at the beginning um, that often take up our attention on communion, you know, how often, juice or wine, leavened or unleavened bread, I think those issues can actually further our distraction, further our disconnection from what communion, the Lord's Supper, is really about. It occurred to me as we were approaching communion uh, today that I don't think I've ever devoted an entire message on the topic of the Lord's Supper. Now, it's possible that something has slipped my, my memory, but I don't think that I have. 
And since today is Communion Sunday, I wanted to talk about communion today in the message and hopefully help us to more fully appreciate the Lord's Supper and hopefully help us to more fully benefit from the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is one of two ordinances uh, or sacraments that Jesus himself instituted to be observed by his church. And the use of those two words is yet another thing uh, that there is debate about within the Christian church. I'm going to use the words sacrament and ordinance interchangeably here today, but there are some differences between them, and, and in some quarters of the church, these become very big issues. Um, those who consider the Lord's Supper to be a sacrament emphasize God's activity in the observance. And those who consider the Lord's Supper an ordinance emphasize the activity of those of us who are participating uh, in the Lord's Supper. And my view is that the fullest understanding of the Lord's Supper comes when we properly emphasize both God's activity in the Lord's Supper and our own activity in the Lord's Supper. And so since that's what I think about the Lord's Supper, that's how I believe it's best understood, uh, I think using both of these words is just fine, and so I'll use them interchangeably. I mentioned that there are two ordinances, two sacraments. In addition to the Lord's Supper, Jesus instituted the ordinance or the sacrament of baptism. Baptism is the sacrament that is to be observed by a believer once, one time, at the beginning of of their Christian life. By the way, our next baptism is set up for November 12th, and so if you have not been baptized since coming to faith in Jesus, I encourage you to do that. Uh, hopefully you have heard me speak on this. If not, we go over it at the uh, uh, baptism class. I would be happy to talk to you about it personally, uh, but baptism is so important. Jesus himself instituted it, and he did so because there is spiritual benefit to us for being baptized. And so there should not be an unbaptized believer in Jesus. And so if you've not been baptized since coming to faith, I encourage you to do that. Talk to me if you have some questions. Talk to me if you have a hang-up about it. Uh, but, uh, but you need to be baptized. So do that on uh, November 12th. So there's the sacrament of baptism. And then there's the sacrament that we're discussing today, or the ordinance we're discussing today, the Lord's Supper. And, and where baptism is to be observed once at the beginning of the Christian life, the Lord's Supper is to be observed throughout our Christian lives. And where baptism is a sign of the start of our relationship with Jesus, what the Lord's Supper is, is a sign of our continuing in fellowship with Christ. And so I've titled today's message, The Lord's Supper, Remembrance and Experience. Because in observing this ordinance, we do both of those things. We remember what Christ has done for us, and we experience the presence of of Jesus. There's actually even more than that that we'll talk about uh, that happens within the Lord's Supper. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I thought I should address this topic of experiencing the Lord's presence in the Lord's Supper, the how of that, because once again, this is one of those things where there are differences of opinion within the church as to how the presence of Christ is experienced when we receive the Lord's Supper. 
uh, the Catholic view, and I know that many of you grew up Catholic, so you're probably familiar with this. The Catholic view is known as transubstantiation. And the view is that the bread and the juice or the bread and the wine actually become the body and the blood of Jesus. And in this way, Christ is present and Christ is experienced uh, in communion. The Lutheran view is what is referred to as the in with under view. Martin Luther rejected that the bread and juice actually became the body and blood of Jesus, but he insisted that because Jesus said, this is my body, it in some sense had to be taken as a literal statement. And so his conclusion wasn't that the bread and juice became the body and blood of Jesus, but that the physical body and blood of Jesus is present in, with, and under the bread of the Lord's Supper. The example sometimes given is to say that Christ's body is present in the bread as water is present in a sponge. Water is not the sponge, but it is present in, with, and under a sponge. And it's present wherever the sponge is present. My intention today is not to spend time rebutting those views. I simply wanted to acknowledge them because you probably come in contact with them. And then I wanted to acknowledge that those are not the views that we hold here at the Vineyard. We, along with almost all uh, Protestants, do not believe that the bread and juice become uh, the body and blood of Jesus. Nor do we believe that they somehow contain the body and blood of Jesus. Rather, we believe that the bread and the juice symbolize, symbolize the body and blood of Jesus. They give us a visible sign of the fact that Christ himself truly is present among us. Not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. When we come to the table of communion, Christ truly is here. He is spiritually present with us. And Jesus himself uh, shared this idea, this concept in Matthew 18, 20, when he told his disciples that any time they gathered in his name, he would be there with them. The, the context of Jesus saying that was that they would be gathered in his name. He would not be physically there. They would be there in his name. And yet he assured them that he would be in their midst. And this is the sense in which we experience the presence of Christ generally. And I believe in a special way when we come to the table of communion. Christ is present with us spiritually. He is truly present. He is truly here, but it's in a spiritual sense, not a physical uh, sense. The, communi the communion elements give us a physical sign of the fact that Christ is here. Christ is among us. Much like baptism is a physical act symbolizing a spiritual reality and reinforcing it, the Lord's Supper is a physical act that symbolizes and reinforces spiritual realities. And that's what I want to spend the next few minutes sharing with you, the meaning, the rich meaning of the Lord's Supper. 
1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34 is a section of scripture where the Apostle Paul teaches about the Lord's Supper in some detail. And I want to begin by simply sharing what he wrote in verse 26 of chapter 11. So if we were to show this whole section, he leads into this part that I'm going to read by repeating the words of Jesus when Jesus himself instituted the Lord's Supper on the night of his betrayal. And we're going to read those words ourselves here in a minute. And then after leading with that, Paul writes what I think is on the screen behind me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, we symbolize the death of Christ because our actions give a picture of his death for us. The bread symbolizes the body of Jesus broken for us, and the juice symbolizes the blood of Jesus poured out for us. The symbolism reminds us again of the great sacrifice that Jesus has made for each and every one of us. But not only are we symbolizing Christ's death, not only are we remembering Christ's death when we receive communion, according to Paul, whenever we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are proclaiming Christ's death. And we're to continue proclaiming his death until he comes again. The Lord's Supper is important because it symbolizes Christ's death. It causes us to solemnly remember his sacrifice for us. And through it, it is one of the means by which we testify of, bear witness to the death of Christ for our sins and the sins of the world. Here's what Jesus said on the night he instituted the Lord's Supper, Matthew 26, 26 through 28. This is what I read most every time that we receive communion together. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus commanded, Take and eat, this is my body. As we each individually reach out and we take the bread and we take the juice and as we eat the bread and as we drink the juice, we are through those actions proclaiming, I am taking the benefits of Christ's death for myself. I am taking them into my being. The Lord's Supper in this way symbolizes our participation in the benefits of Christ's death. It serves as a reminder and it reinforces the spiritual reality that we have received Christ. We have taken him into our lives. And not only did he die for us to save us, but we have said yes to him. We have received him. He didn't just die for us to not respond by doing this, we are saying once again, I say yes to you, Jesus. I continue to give you my yes. I receive you. 
And so through the Lord's Supper, we symbolize, remember, and proclaim his death. We symbolize and remember that we have received Christ. We've taken him into our lives. That reality is reinforced if we come to the communion table thinking like we ought to think when we come. These are wonderful aspects of the meaning of communion. We also find in the New Testament the participation in the Lord's Supper spiritually nourishes us. It's spiritually beneficial. John 6, 53 through 57. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus is speaking figuratively here. He's not not talking of a literal eating of his flesh and blood, but of a spiritual participation in the benefits of redemption that his death has earned for us. In this sense, just as physical food nourishes our body, the bread and juice of the Lord's Supper provides spiritual nourishment to us. The Lord's Supper isn't just some ritual without any purpose behind it. It is spiritually nourishing. It is spiritually beneficial. Solemnly remembering Christ's sacrifice, proclaiming his death, Being reminded that we've received him and having that reality of our participation in the benefits of his death reinforced through this symbolic act. These things are spiritually beneficial. They provide spiritual sustenance, spiritual nourishment. And if all of this isn't enough meaning, there's still more meaning in the Lord's Supper. And there's meaning not only in terms of our relationship with Christ, but also of our relationships with each other. Believers participating together in the Lord's Supper, this is intended to be a clear sign of our unity with each other. Our unity as the one body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 17. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one loaf. Through the Lord's Supper, we are reminded and we give testimony to the fact that we are one in Christ. We are part of the same body We serve the same Lord. We are recipients of the same grace. We might be from different backgrounds or nationalities or ethnicities. We might be diverse socioeconomically. We might have different levels of education. And we could go through a whole expanded list of all of the things that make us different from each other and could divide us from one another. And yet... We are one in Christ. 
Committed to each other because we are committed to him. In communion, we not only remember Christ's sacrifice and that we are recipients of the benefits of his death, we remember that we are one with our brothers and sisters. We remember that we are united together in Christ and we testify to that fact through our participation. With these four things I've shared, you can already see how rich the meaning of the Lord's Supper is. We experience the presence of Christ. We solemnly remember his death. We participate again in the benefits of his death. We receive spiritual nourishment. We remember that we are united with all other believers and the act of communion testifies to our continued unity with each other. In addition to all of this, properly understanding the Lord's Supper reminds us and assures us of Christ's love for each of us. Each quote from Jesus that I've read today is an invitation from Christ to come to his table. He invites us, come, come sit at my table, come receive from me. As we approach the communion tables this morning, we should understand ourselves to be responding to Christ's invitation to us. In a practical sense, I will be the one saying, okay, now come. But what you should understand is the reason we're doing that is because Christ himself has said, come, come to my table and receive from me. So remind yourself this morning that you're responding to Christ's invitation. He wants you to come. He wants you to take him into yourself because he loves you. He he invites you to be spiritually nourished at his table Because he loves you. He invites you to remember what he's done for you because he loves you. He wants you to continue to walk in the reality of his redemption and all that it means for you. He invites you to remember your brothers and sisters and the unity that we share with each other because he loves you. And he knows that these unified relationships are good for you. Communion's an invitation from Jesus himself to come to his table. It is a reassurance of his love for us. There's even more. Tell us more, Brian. There's more? There's even more. If we fully understand all the Lord's Supper is about, and, and, and this is a part that I think often gets overlooked. But if we fully understand it, we know that there is meant to be a future aspect to the Lord's Supper. Not only does it look back in remembrance. I like left as back. Not only does it look back in remembrance, it looks forward in anticipation. After instituting the Lord's Supper, which we read in Matthew 26, Jesus said something else to his disciples who were present for that first supper. He said this in verse 29. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine 
from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Amen. Amen. Through the Lord's Supper, Christ affirms that all of the blessings of salvation are reserved for us, including this promise of a future banquet when the fullness of God's kingdom comes. When we come to the communion table, we don't just look back in remembrance. We look forward in anticipation of the return of Jesus. And that day we'll be with Jesus at what the Bible calls the marriage supper of the Lamb. What a wonderful thought. At the communion table, we remember that Jesus is coming again. He's promised it. And he will come again. Possibly not this Saturday, but he will come again. If you've heard the date setters are busy again, I welcome it if he comes. But I would think by now the date setting would have been proven a rather futile exercise. But what I think is very important for us as believers, as we see people unwisely set dates and it not happen, set dates and it not happen, we can never get to the place where we say, ah, just not going to worry about that. Just not going to think about that. No, no. The Lord's coming is our hope. The Lord's coming is what we anticipate. It's what we're living for. It's what we're looking forward to. And so don't ever let the continual date setting and those things not, uh, not happening ever cause you to say, you know what, I'm just going to forget about the Lord's coming. No, we're supposed to think about the Lord's coming. We're supposed to anticipate the Lord's coming. We're supposed to live in light of the Lord's coming. And if our hearts are where they ought to be, we say with the Christians through all the ages, come quickly, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The communion table, remember that Jesus is coming again. And finally, through the Lord's Supper, we individually and collectively affirm our dependence on and faith in Christ. As we individually take the cup and the bread and we receive them, we are proclaiming once again to Jesus, I need you and I trust you, Lord Jesus, to forgive my sins, to give life and health to my soul, for my hope rests on you, and only through your broken body and shed blood can I be saved. No other way, not through my own goodness. I'm not awesome enough to deserve any of this. It is only through your broken body and your shed blood that I can be saved. We affirm that our sins were part of the cause of Jesus' suffering and death, and we express through the Lord's Supper our continual reliance on his grace alone for our salvation. So within communion, we're going to have sorrow over sin, joy over redemption, thanksgiving for God's grace, and an experience of deep love for Jesus. These are all part of the experience of the Lord's Supper. And so for all of these reasons... The Lord's Supper is not a meaningless ritual. It is a meaning-packed 
observance, ordinance, sacrament, through which we worship our Savior, experience his presence, remember what he's done, receive spiritual nourishment and encouragement. And so it's something that we should do with great anticipation, fully aware of all that it means and fully aware of all that it's intended to accomplish in our lives. And so I hope that today's talk is going to be helpful for you as we approach the Lord's Supper here in a few minutes. I hope it's going to be helpful in the way that you come and are mindful of what it represents. I hope it's going to be helpful and enable you to receive more benefit from the experience of the Lord's Supper, the benefit that Christ intends. There's one more thing that I need to share about the Lord's Supper before we receive it, and And that is to give some biblical guidance on who should participate uh, in the Lord's Supper because the Bible actually does give guidance about this. The Lord's Supper is open to all who believe in Christ. From Paul's explaining to us that through communion we proclaim Christ's death until he returns to the instructions he gives in 1 Corinthians 11 about rightly discerning the body, Scripture is clear that the Lord's Supper is for those who have personal faith in Jesus. Just like baptism is a sacrament that we observe once we've placed our faith in Christ, so the Lord's Supper uh, is, observed for, is reserved for those who have personal faith in Jesus. It is a family matter. It is for all who belong to Christ. Of course, if you've never received Christ today, we're not trying to prevent you from receiving communion. Before we receive the bread and the juice today, I'm going to give an opportunity to receive Jesus. Because what we would like is for everyone here today to receive the Lord's Supper. So the Lord's Supper is available to those who believe in Jesus. And then the Lord's Supper is available... You ready? It's available to those who are walking in unity with other believers. Let's talk about this one a minute. (laughs) Scripture lets us know that if we have allowed there to be divisions between ourselves and others within the body, we need to make those relationships right so that we're not making a mockery of the unity of the body that the Lord's Supper represents. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 29. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Paul wrote this because those in Corinth that he was writing to were understanding that the bread and the cup represented the body and blood of the Lord and they understood that it represented their unity in Christ but they were acting in selfish and inconsiderate ways toward each other. They were not properly discerning all that it was supposed to mean that that they were one body united in Christ. They, I believe, they knew it intellectually, but they weren't putting it 
into practice. Unworthy participation in communion is participation that does not properly discern the body. We are to properly discern the body by examining our relationships with other believers in the body and honestly determining if we are acting in a way that upholds the reality that we are one in Christ. If we're not doing that, but we're actually acting in ways that have brought about disunity with other believers, we need to fix that according to Paul, before receiving the Lord's Supper. Wayne Grudem summarizes it this way. Jesus here tells us that whenever we come to worship, we should be sure that our relationship with others are right. And if they are not, we should act quickly to make them right and then come to worship God. That's just in general. And then he goes on and says, this admonition ought to be especially true when we come to the Lord's table. And so the Lord's Supper is open to believers in Jesus and is open to those who are properly appreciating their unity with other believers and living in a way that promotes unity instead of division. And so if you have something in your heart against another believer in this body, Paul would tell you, you need to make that right before you receive the Lord's Supper. None of this is intended to prevent anyone from receiving communion. It's only intended to encourage us to take the steps necessary to participate in communion properly. If you are not walking in unity with another brother or sister, fix that relationship so that you are coming to the Lord's table properly appreciating that we're one in Christ. If you're not a Christian, but you've been considering becoming one, you can receive the Lord's Supper today by making today the day that you finally say yes to Jesus. You make the decision to follow him.